Do you have questions about living with diabetes in South Africa? You're in very good company. Turns out we all do. Welcome to South Africans with Diabetes. I'm Bridget McNulty and today we're going to be answering your questions to help you live a healthy, happy life with diabetes. This podcast is brought to you by Lily. First, a disclaimer. I am not a medical expert. Please discuss any changes you want to make to your diabetes treatment with your doctor. What is the future cost if diabetes is ignored? So I guess this is straying over into diabetes advocacy a little and away from the more classic diabetes management conversations we've been having. But I think it's important. I also think we need to demilitarize. Is that a word? The word advocacy. We're not talking about picketing and striking and sticking it to the man. We're talking about looking at the diabetes situation in South Africa and seeing what changes need to be made and then working towards making those changes. One of the biggest changes that needs to be made is that we have to start talking about diabetes more. In the media, in the workplace, in schools, everywhere. There's always this huge flurry of coverage in November during National Diabetes Month, but the rest of the year is a little quiet, shall we say? And the reason we need to start talking about diabetes is based on three big stats. If you've heard me talk, you will have heard all of these stats numerous times before. Number one, diabetes kills more women than anything else in South Africa. It's also the second leading cause of death in men, but it's a manageable condition, even preventable if diagnosed early enough. These are the stats from Stats SA's latest mortality report. Number two, one in two people with diabetes in South Africa is undiagnosed. Half of all people with type 2 diabetes in our country don't know they have it. Isn't that outrageous? No wonder it's killing so many people, because they only find out they have it when they present with long-term complications, like blindness, amputation, kidney failure, heart disease. This stat is from the International Diabetes Federation. And number three, two in three people in South Africa fall in the pre-diabetes range, which means that if they don't change their lifestyle or eating habits or lose weight if they need to, they're going to develop type 2 diabetes. Two in three. Think about standing in a queue with someone in front of you and someone behind you. Only one person won't develop diabetes unless we do something. This status from the SA Demographic and Health Survey. So we need to do something about diabetes, obviously. But what and how and what happens if we don't? I've asked Shivani Ranchard to shed some light on the situation for us. Shivani is a health actuary with a deep commitment to South Africa's health sector. She has extensive experience across the health system, including working with funders and healthcare providers, government and regulators, and she's currently appointed to the Government Technical Advisory Centre. Shivani, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. Hi, Bridget. Okay, so we know the diabetes situation in South Africa is really bad. What does the future look like if we don't do anything to improve diabetes in South Africa? The unfortunate reality is that the future looks significantly worse than those already frightening statistics that you've outlined. So, you know, we have the current situation is dire. And if we look at the long-term trends of what's led up until now, we've seen a steady increase in incidence and prevalence of diabetes. And there are no reasons to believe mm. that that increase trend is not going to continue into the future. And the reason for that is because there are these big underlying systemic features 
that drive diabetes that we're not actively engaging with. We're really kind of tackling the symptoms, like what we're seeing when it becomes acute and extreme. And, you know, so if you had to think of it as like, Mm -hmm. you know, the classic iceberg, we're dealing with the sort of visible tip of the iceberg. And it's not just Mm. that there's like a big iceberg under the water. It's actually that that iceberg is growing and it's getting bigger and scarier every day, actually, that passes. And how do we deal with the iceberg stuff? Is that all non-communicable diseases? Does that just make the conversation enormous? Yes. So the conversation is enormous and it's daunting. And I guess that's one of the reasons why we've been slow to act. I think that, you know, in thinking about how we tackle the iceberg one of the really big things for me is that we have to shift away from seeing everything about individual choices and individual faults. You know, we place a lot of blame on the individual, Mm. um, you know, with non-communicable diseases. Like, really, it's your fault. You didn't eat properly and you didn't exercise and you're obese and now you have diabetes, you know? So I think that's a huge mind shift and recognizing the kind of really big societal factors and, I mean, the way that we structure our food economy the extent to which there's safe spaces in which people can exercise, the geospatial stuff around where people work and where they live and how much time they spend commuting, the way we design our workplaces. You know, so those are, those are like big societal questions that feed into mm. this rising trend. And as long as we keep talking about the individuals and we keep talking about individual behavior change, we're not going to tackle mm. those big systemic issues. And that's so interesting, actually, because individual behavior change on one hand feels like, well, at least we can empower ourselves to individually change our behavior. But the stuff we're looking at isn't like habit related, right? It's not that people are making these choices because they have the option to eat delicious, fresh, healthy food, but instead they're choosing to have McDonald's. It's that McDonald's is just so much cheaper and right there and smells delicious and satisfies you straight away. So that's the big societal stuff. And I'm going to ask you how we fix it later, because I don't don't like introducing a problem without something of a solution. But can we also talk about the financial side of things? Because I feel like that's going to be very bad. What financial impact will diabetes have on the economy? What's like the practical cost of inaction? I think when we think about the cost of disease, any disease, right, um, it's important to consider the direct costs to the healthcare system. So what does it cost to mm. prevent, treat, etc.? But we also have to think more broadly to think about, okay, well, what is the economic cost in terms of productivity? You know, what does this mm. mean for your workforce? What are the societal costs in terms of caregiving, the way households are structured, um, all of those sorts of costs? And when you look at the scale of diabetes, you look at the ways in which, you know, if you take the statistics that you mentioned and you translate them back into the role women play from a caregiving perspective, households are run perspective, and you think about what that means. And when you just think about the scale for running an economy and people being able to be functional and working and thriving, the scale is is really enormous. And then that leads, you know, to when you start to think about solutions, who's responsible for tackling these problems? And actually, it's quite helpful to see the costs in that broader sense, right? So it's not just about the National Department of Health and how they deal with the direct healthcare costs of it. It's actually also about employers getting around mm. the table and saying, okay, what are we doing about this? It's about life insurance companies, right? What is the cost to life insurance? You know, when you're paying out, you have to pay out life insurance claims because people are dying sooner than expected. Um, you know, for a long time, what's been happening yeah. is that we've had steady 
improvement in life expectancy, right? So it's just gotten better and better. And we're now in a very different, much more volatile situation, and particularly in the insurance awareness because of COVID and the interrelationship between diabetes and COVID yeah. and the way that we've seen that play out. Yeah. So let's talk some kind of solutions because it feels so overwhelming. Anytime we have these kind of conversations, I recognize that they're important and I simultaneously want to bury my head in the sand because it's like, oh, what isn't working? Pretty much everything. Ah, where do we start? So how can we fix what's not working at the moment? And is there a role for people with diabetes to play? Because I hear you saying that there's a role for the National Department of Health to play. There's a role for anyone who's who's involved in like the lifespan of the person with diabetes. So things like life insurance, definitely employers. I feel like I hadn't really thought about that before, but that's a great way to reach people and create safe spaces for them. What role can we as South Africans with diabetes play? So the, I think traditionally in tackling these sorts of large scale public health problems around the world, not just in South Africa, the voice of the patient has been systematically ignored. And I don't think that you get... Yeah. <laughs> the right solutions and sufficiently comprehensive solutions, not just mm. include, but almost like center the voice of people who are living with the condition. And the point we were talking about earlier in terms of not just seeing this about the individual, but also seeing the kind of bigger societal factors, I think the diabetes community has a role to play there, right? In terms of, I mean, it's even the, the language that we use, like mm. we call somebody a diabetic, does it mean that their humanity is mm -hmm. equated to their disease? So important to be a strong community so that you have a voice as a collective mm -hmm. in the advocacy space. And this is not to say that we shouldn't take responsibility as individuals. As you said, the behavior change is important and there are a, a range of things mm -hmm. that we can do. And yes, we must have agency and yes, we must take responsibility for our lives. But we can also tell the stories about the systemic mm -hmm. factors that have influenced how our health has unfolded and progressed. So as women, we should be telling stories about safe places to exercise. And as, you know, when we're doing the shopping mm. and nutrition for our household, what are the practical challenges that we face? Uh, people live in food deserts, right? Where they literally, there is no fresh produce available in their community. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about yeah. that. And that's so fascinating too, because I think even as, so we're, an online community for people with diabetes. That's literally the only reason Sweet Life is here. And yet we even do that thing where we're like, oh, you know, we're in South Africa where body image is, is very complicated because people are encouraged to carry more weight because that shows that they're prosperous. But we're not telling those stories directly. And you're right, because there's such power in giving voice to those untold stories like people who are living in food deserts like people who culturally feel pressure not to lose weight or who can't exercise or who can't follow the stock advice on like this is what you're supposed to do and it's so interesting because in the season we've discussed language and diabetes which is fascinating and we're it's one of the big things we want to be changing and we're going to start working on it this year and we've also been talking about stigma and diabetes because it's this kind of low level constant hum <laughs> that everyone is just like type 2 diabetes eh, did you kind of give it to yourself did you give it to yourself I mean who we kind of think you did even if people don't say that out loud and so there's so much of that work needs to be done and I do think and I don't know if this is particularly in a South African context but I do think that the more we can bring diabetes into the spotlight particularly in the media 
the more it seems like stuff happens. I don't know if our politicians came or if this just happens around the world, but the more that things are irritating by being mentioned in the media all the time, the more likely it is for stuff to actually happen. Yes, absolutely agree with that. Um, and I think we have a very powerful history in South Africa of civil society mm. uh, playing a huge role in shifting the trajectory. I mean, the HIV story in South Africa yeah. is yeah. so strongly about the TAC and Section 27. Um, you know, so we have we actually have templates of organizations um, that, you know, sort of gathered from a civil society perspective and, mm. you know, really pushed an agenda where we actually had a government that was actively not doing anything, had made a conscious decision, yeah. you know, not to do anything. Um, and it was civil society that, that shifted that. Um, so it's not a it's not a crazy idea that a community of people living with diabetes could change how this unfolds. The thing I find difficult is that HIV was kind of like sexy and contagious and people got really sick really fast and died. Sexy in a bad way, obviously, but like very dramatic. Whereas what we're trying to convince people with here is like, oh, look, this car is going to crash in 20 years time, 10 to 20 years time, and it's going to be so bad and we can stop it now. But we're wanting people to invest money now to stop a future calamity that that isn't yet completely visible. Although if you look at the stats, it actually is visible. Yes. So, so I think, I think it is visible. I think it is visible. So if you talk, you talk to the CEO of Krutuskir Hospital, she will tell you about you know, the extent of the burden that they are grappling with that they should not pillar. be seeing. And it, but they shouldn't be seeing it in a tertiary hospital or quaternary hospital. They shouldn't be doing amputations. And, um, you know, they, I mean, those things just should not be happening. People shouldn't be losing mm. their limbs um, and people yeah. shouldn't be dying. Um, yeah. So it is showing up in the healthcare system. Um, the other thing that has to shift, actually, is the narr- global narrative that diabetes mm. is, a, you know, sort of developed world um, problem mm. that exists in the global north um, because that influences mm. um, what gets funded, what research gets funded, um, you know, the, the kind of because, yeah. I mean, a huge part of the HIV story in South Africa has been donor pressure. So, you know, donor money coming into the country yeah. and then being able to set quite a strong agenda. So, you know, for example, if you look at the way that our budget has been structured for a long time, um, you get these the sort of general healthcare budget that flows down from national to provincial down to districts. Um, and then you get what are called conditional grants, which are kind of these earmarked specific pots of money. And what we've had for a long time is mm. a very specific HIV grant, um, you know, because of mm. the, the kind of influence and the of donors and the emphasis of, uh, on that as a disease kind of silo. Um, there's no diabetes mm. grant, conditional grant, right? Um, I know. I mean, and we the, need it. We actually need the research. Yes. But there is a narrative that, you know, in, in low and middle income countries, yes, we have to change. So it's, a, it's about, you know, it's not just elevating mm. the awareness within South Africa, but actually starting to tell the world a story about a South Africa that is grappling with diabetes on a day-to-day basis in mm. a very serious way. So that lifts into the awareness of global donors. Yeah. Okay. It's a good challenge. It's a very good challenge. Tell me about NHR, this mythical NHR. When is it going to happen? Do we know if it's going to happen? How will diabetes and NHR interact? I wish I had a crystal ball and could tell you when NHR is going to happen. Um, <laughs> in, the- in theory, in theory, we're very far progressed through the 
the policy making process. Um, so the stage okay. we're at now is is deep into the process. So you know it it shouldn't shouldn't be that far off in the future. Um, I think in reality, every step of this reform, because of the scale of it and because of how sort of politically fraught it is, um, has taken multiples longer than expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we look elsewhere in the world, you know, it takes a long time for countries to sort of move towards universal health coverage. Um, compound that with the kind of fiscal pressure that we're under at the moment and the kind of political pressure that the current uh, kind of leadership is is under, mm. um, and I guess the the if you look at the number of submissions that were received in relation to the the draft legislation um, and the number of areas of contention, um, it's not unrealistic to expect that there'll be numerous legal challenges. Um, so all of those are very concerning because um, our current healthcare system isn't thriving, yeah. and there are these big glaring gaps of things that we're not grappling with mm. like diabetes mm. not the only one but it is yeah. it is a major one that we're not grappling with and we're in this terrible limbo and we have been in this terrible limbo for years now mm. where we're not putting all of our energy and efforts into strengthening how healthcare is is delivered and structured yeah. but rather waiting for this like magic moment when there's national health insurance and then you know that will allow us to fix everything yeah. so that's the thing that makes me sad is mm. that we're waiting for things to be better in, at some future point mm. as opposed to acting now. Um, so I, I actually prefer not to have the NH, like how will we do this under NHI? Mm. I prefer to have the conversation of what should we be doing right now? Because it's a lot that we can do. It's, yeah, it's immediate. Yeah. What do we need to be doing now? And there are a bunch of things. I mean, um, it's, I think it's very helpful to have an investment case that can be taken to National Treasury mm. um, that shows the kind of long-term expected costs um, and starts to put down like the, the cost-benefit analyses for interventions to mm. say, okay, if you did this, if you invested in that, um, you know, this is the sort of payoff um, because that means that they can start thinking about how to fund those investments. And then having that investment mindset is really mm. helpful, mm. you know? So to say, okay, it's actually see it as like invest some money and there's some return to the economy that comes from that. So that's something that, that we could be amazing. do now. Yeah. Um, and then there's lots of, there is a lot of exciting stuff happening on the ground in terms of innovations around how diabetes services are um, are delivered. Mm. Um, so we're involved in a project um, in the Western Cape in, a, in Hanover Park, um, which is using telemedicine to um, improve yes. care for complex patients. So uh, usually telemedicine is used um, for the least complex patients, mm. but actually here what we're experimenting with is could we use technology to actually allow us to support the patients who like needs care. Actually, it's the most difficult for them to come into facilities. Yeah. They are the ones dealing with comorbidities. They're the patients who are elderly, mm. patients grappling with mental health issues, you know. So what if a patient has schizophrenia and diabetes? Sure. So there are, there are these exciting sort of, I guess, micro interventions mm. going on. Mm. But what they start to do is build up an evidence base of interventions that can be scaled. Um, so, so there's definitely been an, uh, a step up, I would say, um, particularly because of the di- the diabetes COVID yes. in- interrelationship. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of diabetes focus, um, you know, during the COVID period. Mm. But we we must we must capitalize on that, right? Mm. We must take those learnings um, and say, okay, well, actually, these interventions should continue, yeah. whether there's COVID or not, because actually, there's a direct impact on the di- on the diabetes patients and mm. their and their outcomes. Fascinating. 
Thank you so much. I'm going to be talking to you more about the the investment case too, because that's that's where I feel like the people with diabetes are maybe at a slight disadvantage is we can be like, hey guys, here's the lived experience. Let us tell you what's actually going on. And then they're like, oh yeah, but where's the numbers? Like just show us some numbers and then we can actually have this conversation. Last question, because we are almost out of time. What makes your life sweet? These sorts of conversations. <laughs> um, I, it's really, I mean, I, you know, the thinking about the healthcare system, thinking mm. about the human beings actually at the center of that or the human beings who should be at the center of that mm. um, is really what invigorates my life. Um, and uh, it, it's grounding for me to be able to, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about system issues and mm. the big picture stuff and mm. the numbers. Um, and it's very grounding for me to come back to to the lived experience. And, mm. and I think actually it's, I think what's important to take out of this conversation, but also important for me, um, is to always hold both of these things. Yeah. Um, you know, that there is, there's this, there's the, the lived experience, there's the agency of the individual, um, and then there's the system mm. and the ways in which, you know, those two interact with each other. Um, so yeah, thank you. And support thank each you other. For this conversation. Thank mm. you so much for taking the time. Uh, I feel like, I get a little bit smarter every time I talk to you. And I really want to encourage our listeners, if if any of you are feeling fired up, I'm feeling fired up. And if you want to get involved in diabetes advocacy, please join SA Diabetes Advocacy. It's an umbrella organization of all the organizations of people with diabetes in South Africa. And you can sign up on diabetesadvocacy.org.za. ORG.za will be running a diabetes advocacy training course for the first time this year, which is very exciting. And we have some fascinating episodes coming up. We're looking at the language of diabetes, heart health for people with diabetes, eating disorders, the root cause of diabetes. There is so much to talk about. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen today and invite you to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. It's such a pleasure to be able to spend this time with you and I really appreciate it. I'm sure your diabetes management appreciates it too. Big thanks to Lily for sponsoring this season of South Africans with Diabetes. Lily is the leading provider of insulin in South Africa, supporting people with diabetes through high-quality, affordable products. Lily unites caring with discovery to create medicines that make life better for people around the world. This podcast comes to you from Sweet Life Diabetes Community. We are South Africa's largest online diabetes community, a space to connect with other people living with diabetes, share tips, and offer advice. Our website, sweetlife.org.za, has all the diabetes info you need, all in one place. We're like the diabetes Wikipedia of South Africa. We offer expert advice that's easy to understand and written just for you. Whether you're looking for the latest news and updates on diabetes in South Africa, tips to manage your condition better, meal plans and diabetes-friendly recipes, exercise suggestions, or how to lose weight, we have an expert answer for you. We also have free e-books to download, a diabetes cookbook, diabetes guidebook, and a healthy food guide. Most importantly, we have a community of people with diabetes who understand what it's like to live with the condition every day. We're all in this together.